Well, the special music has been very special and great blessing. I'm glad to be able to hear this again and hear it live and in person. Enjoyed getting back, meeting with the men this morning to start off and, and just all the way through. I'm thankful for what God's doing here and for letting us be a part of this great work. Galatians chapter 3 in your Bible will dismiss our children ages 3 to 7. We'll be going to the children's ministry, heading right back towards the lobby vestibule area, and they'll be directed and guided over to the uh, building, the older building next to us, and we refer to that as the Aetha building um, because of one of the pastors that was pastoring at the time, and, and then um, we will be able to escort you over if you'd like help in getting over there to re retrieve your child uh, after the service. My wife and I... and uh, we'd love to be able to greet and meet you after the service. We'll be right out in the lobby area afterwards as well. We've been going through the book of Galatians and dealing with this matter of finding freedom. I'm glad that God doesn't want anybody to stay in bondage, remain in bondage. God is a um, God of deliverance. And in this study of Galatians, God is giving through Paul to the church the the answer of deliverance, the answer of freedom, it's found in a person in a relationship with Jesus Christ. In chapters 1 and 2, it's been very personal. Paul is dealing with personal issues. Gets to chapter 3 where we started the last time we were here in Galatians. And chapters 3 and 4 is doctrinal. He's dealing with some doctrinal concerns and that's why really the reason for this and in chapter 5 and 6 he's going to make practical application so what does this mean and he's going to help us with that as he was helping the church in this time and in Galatians chapter 3 we looked at verses 1 through about 5 and Paul was trying to help them understand they've been tricked they've been deceived they've been tricked and deceived being in church. And it's sad when you can be tricked and deceived when you're in church about the things of God. But he starts out verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Who has cast a spell over you? Who's caught your attention and diverted it away from the Lord Jesus Christ? And so he walks through and he gives them several questions. And he's trying to help them see that some of the things that they're buying into is not what they experienced in getting saved and in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. He's helping them understand this matter of the law, the works of the law. These Judaizers have come in and they've been trying to convince the church, the Christians, that if you're going to believe God, you've got to keep this rule and regulation and standard in order to please God. And if somebody gets saved, they've got to get saved the Jewish way. They're going to have to keep some laws. They're going to have to get circumcised like Abraham. And, and that's what we're getting ready to get into here. And, and so they, they start teaching this and Paul comes at them. And this is one of the, the hardest, the most confrontational books of Paul's writings because he's dealing with the very serious matter, something that undermines the gospel. It's saving work in people's lives, but it also will shipwreck a Christian because it then takes the focus away from the Savior and puts it upon their life. Now someone asked, well, 
Does that mean we need to do away with rules and standards? Get away from the law. Now remember, Paul said in Romans, the law is good. Paul said, I would not have known sin had it not been for the law. The law, he said, is our schoolmaster. God uses the law to educate us. God uses the law to bring us to Christ. The law's good, but Paul's trying to get us to see the law's not the answer. See, what happens today is we tend to be ditch dwellers. We go either from one extreme to another. We're reactionary. What we ought to be is just biblical. People have grown up perhaps hearing Bible preaching, don't do this and do this, and they get to a point because of their emptiness and their frustration, they hear, I don't have to be under the law. I don't have to follow the law. I want to be under grace. And they don't really understand the law, and many times they don't understand grace. Because grace doesn't cause you to drop out of church. Grace doesn't cause you to run from God. Grace does not cause you to cool off in your zeal for the Lord. That's not grace. You went maybe from law to license, where you felt like now you can do whatever you want to do because you don't live under the law. Well, God didn't intend for us these last 2,000 years to live under the law. But God doesn't intend for us to get into license doing what we want to do. God's grace of salvation and sanctification is so that you would be free to do everything that he would have you do. Someone says, well, are we supposed to be separated? Are we supposed to be on the narrow road? Are we supposed to be free from the law? Well, certainly. Let me use the analogy that I find because it's a biblical analogy, but I use it all the time. The, the very idea of marriage. If you're going to be married God's way, you've got to be pretty narrow-minded. If you're going to be married and be married God's way, marriage is honorable and all, the bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, Hebrews 13, 5, God says, I will judge. And a lot of people have the idea the world sitcoms and Hollywood and everything else portrays the idea of marriage as having a ball and chain. Well, that doesn't sound like happy bliss. But the idea is God's way of marriage is to experience separation. It is a life of separation from all others. And give and commit to the one. That's not a ball and chain unless you fail to realize what the separation is all about. See, God didn't save us to be separated. God saved us to know Jesus. To know Jesus requires separation. Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. The Bible says in 1 John 2, you can't love the Father and love the world at the same time. It's not possible. Whenever a person gets married, the idea is not so that you can be miserable the rest of your life. 
The idea is to recognize that staying in the boundaries of marriage and Bible is so that you can experience all of the bliss. In fact, the marriage that's made in heaven can be lived out here upon this earth. But you're going to have to understand that separation, keeping yourself from all others and just being faithful to one just for the sake of being able to say, I did it, is missing the whole point. And Paul's trying to get this church to see that standards are not bad. Everyone has standards. Everyone has standards. But our life is not to be lived to complete a standard or regulation or rules. Our life is to be lived for the one who died for us, was buried and resurrected. So I'd like for us to stand please and look at Galatians chapter 3 here. And let's pick up our reading in verse number three. Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain? If it be yet in vain, he therefore that ministereth to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Why? Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now look at the end of verse number 8. In thee shall all nations be, what's the word? Blessed. Verse 9, so then they which be of faith are, say the word, Look at verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to continue our journey through Galatians. And here in these verses, verse 6 through 14 primarily, I want to preach on this thought. The good news of Abraham's blessing for you. The good news of Abraham's blessing for you. Thank you. Please be seated. I want to say this passage here does contain some very good news. Here God tells us that anyone can share in the blessings he's given to Abraham. Regardless of our race or class or gender, irrespective of our ethnicity, our age or nationality, no matter what our personal history 
or credit score or dumb decisions of our past, we can each become the beneficiary of Abraham's blessing. And that's the main point, I believe, of this passage in verse number nine. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. This is better news than a tax refund. It's really better news than a pay raise. Now for this, uh, for some, this may sound quaint. This may sound like it's some just doctrinal truth, but really not altogether exciting. If we were raised in church, perhaps there's a certain fascination with Abraham you've experienced. He's our mysterious heroic character of our Old Testament Sunday school stories and songs. This is where Father Abraham had many sons comes from as well as some mean uh, children church worker that invented the song. But if we were not raised in church, we'll likely have trouble seeing the relevance in receiving Abraham's blessing. The Christ followers in Galatia they were certainly interested in Abraham's blessing. In fact, that's what all the fuss was about in the first place. Paul wrote this most intense, most confrontational letter in order to sort out the issue. What issue? The issue of who can actually receive Abraham's blessing. There was no more relevant question for Paul or for the Galatians. Without a doubt, it would have been of interest to the Judaizers who were stirring up trouble in Galatia. It was the Judaizers that were making this an issue, but taking the wrong position on it. But interest in Abraham's blessings isn't simply some kind of ancient historical interest or some kind of a hobby like collecting rare stamps. It actually could not be more relevant today, perhaps, and especially today, being in our post 9-11 society. Do you know that the three great monotheistic religions, meaning that they believe in just one God, the three great monotheistic religions of the world being Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, they all would trace their start to God's promise of blessing to Abraham. So more than half the world's population, that's over three billion people, they have a vested interest in this issue, or at least they ought to if they want to rightly understand their own faith or their own tradition. Now, we too will find most things about which the Bible speaks more relevant as we better understand it. That's one of the reasons we will go through a Bible or go through a book of the Bible and we'll take it passage by passage, section by section, because we want to understand ultimately why God put that there for those people at that time in order that we might benefit from it in our time. When we understand what it is, we'll realize how highly relevant it is to each one of us. And then we understand how we can share in it. We'll no doubt hear this morning if we'll pay attention to some very good news concerning the gospel, the good news to Abraham and Abraham's blessing as it pertains to us. Number one, I want you to, to, to see this thought. 
Abraham's blessing is actually God's solution to man's problems. Abraham's blessing is actually God's solution to man's problems. Now, to understand Abraham, we'd have to go back to Genesis. And God called Abraham so that out of Abraham, all the, the nations of the world would find blessing. And so this blessing, and we're, I'm still talking about it in a generic sense, but this blessing of Abraham is actually God's solution to man's problem. So what is the blessing of Abraham to which Paul refers to in this passage? Maybe it would help us to understand, well, what are the problems? What is man's problems? The world has problems. You, you don't have news Unless you have problems. But what is the problem? What are the problems? Our problems are the problems that exist within our heart. It's the sin issue. It's the sin that offends a holy God that put Jesus on the cross. But our problems don't just end there. The world's problems include all the strife, violence, that exists between people, communities, even countries. We think of the, the constant uh, human history, domestic abuse, racism, genocide, so on. All of these are involved in the world's problems. And also, when we talk about the problems of the world and mankind, it includes chaos and disintegration, even within the creation itself. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the creation of God groans. It feels the weight and impact of the curse of sin. Things like earthquakes, tsunamis that will wipe away a whole village of people. Cancer that can destroy a body. Miscarriages that can break a hopeful mother's heart and leave her without any explanation as to why. So Abraham's blessing is actually God's way of reversing the effect of the curse. If you look at the storyline of scripture, you find that God called Abraham and again promised to extend the divine blessing through him. And that's in Genesis 12. But Genesis 12 comes on the heels of Genesis chapter 3 through chapter 11, which describes the fall of man. Where God said, of all the trees you can partake of, but there's one. Just one rule, one thing don't do. And by the way, it wasn't God that emphasized the restriction. It was man that emphasized what I can't do. And that one restriction man yielded to. The sin was not eating of the fruit. The sin was disobeying God. And that disobedience brought sin. That sin brought a curse. And so chapters 3 through 11 shows us the after effects. And, and it comes as a direct response to what we see. That is chapter 12 of Abraham's call. Shows us the direct response of what we see as a result of sin, the curse, and the after effect. And what we do see in that portion of scripture that describes the fall and describes the after effect. And Genesis 3 through 11 shows every dimension of life has been ruptured. Everything that God designed and said in chapter 1 was good. 
has been ruptured from the original goodness and purpose of God. The earth lies under the sentence of God's curse because of man's sin. Jealousy, anger, murder, vengeance, violence, corruption, sexual disorder, arrogance. Along with that, because of the curse, women enjoy the gift of childbirth. But along with that come suffering and pain. Men find fulfillment in subduing the earth, but with it comes sweat and frustration. Both man and woman can enjoy the physical intimacy and the union of marriage, but also must battle them as a result of the curse, lust, and, and, and domination. Every inclination of human hearts have been shot through with evil because of sin and its curse. Technology and culture are advancing, but that skill alone can never be used to bring glory to God until sin and its curse have been dealt with. So Abraham's blessing is actually God's solution to each and every one of these problems. Therefore, nothing could be more relevant to us than Abraham's blessing, whether you're living in Atlanta or Africa. Abraham's blessing is God's way of reversing the horrific effects of the curse upon the whole creation. Think about Abraham's blessing this way. Imagine it as God's reversing and thus undoing all that senseless devastation destruction. Turning it all back, restoring it to its original state, bringing the shalom peace uh, for the entire creation, even the entire cosmos. That's what the Bible understands to be Abraham's blessing. This is why God blessed Abraham and called him to be a blessing to every nation, to the world. The promise of a new creation, free from sickness, sin, and death, ultimately. This is the ultimate solution to the problems. It's the answer to every one of our dilemmas. It's the antidote to every disease. It's the cure to every conflict. It's the answer for man's sin. And this is what every one of us needs. This is what each person truly wants. This is the blessing God promised to Abraham and those who are blessed along with Abraham. So, Number one, looking at the idea that Abraham's blessing is actually God's solution to man's sin problem and its curse. Number two, Paul is trying to get and help the church in light of the fact the Judaizers have been corrupting, been deceiving. He wants them to see that number two, you can share in Abraham's blessing. Even if you're Gentile, meaning you're not a Jew. So how do we share in Abraham's blessing? Well, we share in Abraham's blessing by joining Abraham's family. You've got to join his family. And this is the whole thrust of the passage, in particular, verse number 8. And Paul quotes the key passage here in verse number 8. He's quoting from Genesis 12 when he tells in Genesis 12, in Abraham, he says to Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed. See, God's blessing of Abraham is extended to others, but it's only through Abraham. In you shall all the nations be blessed. Not in Muhammad, 
Not in Buddha. Not in Oprah Winfrey. Not in the President of the United States. Not in your 401k. Not in your church. Not in your pastor. We can only share in God's blessings only in Abraham. But in order to share in Abraham's blessing, we must become children of Abraham. You can become a son or daughter of Abraham. We all understand that a person's benefits, that is your, their inheritance, blessings, they get passed down to that person's descendants. They're not randomly distributed to complete strangers. Paul is helping them understand only if you're Abraham's offspring are you heir to Abraham's inheritance. That's what he mentions in verse 29 of chapter 3. And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the next logical question would be, how do we become a son or daughter of Abraham? Now here's where things became controversial for Paul. Here's where they became very controversial for the early church. It was quite natural for the Jews in Paul's day to assume that the only way to become part of Abraham's family was to become circumcised so that they had become like a Jew. After all, the Lord did say explicitly to Abraham in Genesis 17 and verse 10 that his covenant, which he would keep between he and you and your offspring after you, would have to do with that of circumcision. Yet what Paul understands from Scripture itself is that God had already declared his intention to bless the nations of the world apart from their ever becoming circumcised. See, these Judaizers have gotten in and they've tried to get the church to believe if you want to be part of God's blessing, you're going to have to accept circumcision. You're going to have to be like a Jew. You're going to have to do what we did. We're going to have to be like Abraham. And all of it sounded good because he's using Bible. But what he's doing is, what, what these Judaizers are doing is that they're putting the emphasis back on man. They're putting the focus on man. So Paul's having to deal with this. He's having to explain that God, yes, did talk about this covenant between Abraham and the Jews through this matter of circumcision, but that's not how you become a part of his family. See, the extraordinary thing that Paul is saying here is in verse number eight. Look at it again. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. See, because God always intended to justify sinners by faith, God could tell Abraham many hundreds of years before Christ that through him, God's blessings would extend to all the nations and even to all of creation. See, inclusion in Abraham's family was never going to be tied to circumcision, never. It was always going to be about faith. Just as Abraham believed God, verse number six, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. God always intended that there the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, Gentiles, the heathen, could become a part of Abraham's family by faith, simply by faith. 
When God promised Abraham numerous descendants, Abraham didn't try to earn that promise from God. He simply believed what God said. Somebody says, I think I'm going to heaven because I've kept the Ten Commandments. What does that mean? It means they're going to hell. Because going to heaven has nothing to do with what you earn. You could never earn your way. Abraham never tried to earn God's blessing. He accepted it by faith. And Paul says, you've been lied to. You've been deceived. You've been bewitched. Oh, foolish, idiot Christians. Because you are now substituting what God says for what you can do. If, Paul's saying, the great patriarch Abraham was declared righteous because of his faith. And not because he was circumcised. Why would you Galatians be fooled and tricked to become circumcised? You say, I'm I'm not about this thing of circumcision. Well, you take that out. You put in your rule. You put in your regulation. Even those who say, I don't have any rules. That's your rule. Everyone, I I play this game of Christianity without any rules. Well, that's your one rule. Everybody has rules. God always, however, intends to give to his people a part of Abraham's family inheritance only by faith, not by the works of the law. Therefore, Paul draws this conclusion. Notice verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Those who are of the same faith as Abraham share in the same blessing promised to Abraham. So we're not focusing on what Abraham did, Paul said. We're focusing on who Abraham depended upon. We must live our lives like Abraham. The Bible says in verse 9, he was a faithful Abraham. He was a man full of faith. And so the gospel we're told, was announced ahead of time, verse number eight. The gospel was announced ahead of time to Abraham when God promised that all the nations would be blessed. You know that God is good at giving the gospel? God preached the gospel ahead of time to Abraham. God's promise and God's preaching of the good news was that there would be a blessing through the seed of Abraham. What seed? What seed would come from Abraham where we too could find blessing? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was that seed. So God's blessings come to those who have faith like Abraham, verse number nine. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So Abraham, before Christ appeared, put faith in the coming Messiah. And we, 2,000 years later, for those who want to be a part of Abraham's blessing and God's forgiveness and plan of salvation, we look back to what the Messiah did 2,000 years ago, whether it was Abraham thousands of years before Christ, or whether it's 2022, 2,000 years after Christ, it's still Christ, Christ is the answer. And the only way you're going to take of the blessing is the same way Abraham did. Not by earning it, not by keeping a set of standards or rules or laws, but it is to exercise faith. Faith in what God says. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Once you see the last thing. 
When you put your faith in God, you realize that you have a problem of sin. You realize that the curse of the law applies to you. You are not born righteous. You're born a sinner. You got sin from your parents because your parents got sin from their parents. And just as being around certain children, you see the traits of their parents. Because they got that same genetic, the color, the, the, the mannerisms. And the reason why we have a sin problem is because we all got it from our parents. And so God's solution to man's sin problem is found in Abraham. That seed, Jesus Christ. And the way we discover that to be a reality for us is the same way Abraham did. By faith. Now, here's the third thought. We too can please God like Abraham. What does it mean to be a man or woman of faith like Abraham? Abraham pleased God. Hebrews chapter 11 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And we find Abraham mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 8. What was it about Abraham's faith that pleased God? Here's a few things. Number one, it was a Christ-focused faith. It was focused on Christ. In Genesis 15 and verse number 6, it says of Abraham, he believed in the Lord. It's not a general acknowledgement. He wasn't acknowledging God as a higher power or greater being. It meant that Abraham had put his specific confidence in a specific person. And he recognized that this is the person in which Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would be the deliverer of the sins of this world. Jesus Christ was the one who died and was raised again and sits at the right hand of the Father and will one day return to judge the living and the dead. And Abraham recognized that there's coming a Messiah and put his faith in him. It was a Christ-focused faith. But not only was it Christ-focused, it was an obedient faith. While Abraham is indeed the model of faith, his faith was not just simply intellectual. He was living in an active kind of a faith. His faith was what led him to follow God, Hebrews 11 and verse 8, and it says he didn't even know where he was going. He set out, obeyed God, and did what God said without God telling him where. I believe one of the reasons why the Bible says of Hebrews 11, 8, Abraham went out not knowing whither he went, because if God said, Abraham... I want you to go there. Abraham could have left his, his place of origin and arrived to his destination and not needed God. But God didn't tell him where he was going because Abraham pleased God by his constant dependence upon God. His faith, his faith was obedient. We see that illustrated in him offering up his only son, Isaac. In Genesis 22, his only son. And he offered up his son Isaac on the same mountain, Mount Moriah, where Jesus Christ would one day be lifted up and offered by his heavenly father. Abraham's obedient faith was not a perfect faith, 
But one thing we do see is that it was a persevering faith. It means he didn't allow waff, waffling and, and wavering to exist. He, he did waffle. He did waver. But he also got it right. It means Romans chapter 4, the Bible says of Abraham, when he had no reason to have confidence in God, he had confidence in God. Abraham is about um, 100 years old and his wife is 90. In Romans 4, the Bible says he uh, put confidence in God, believing what God said. What did God say? God said that he would be the father of many nations. How could that be if he doesn't have a son? Here he is 100, his wife is 90. And yet the Bible says he wavered not at the promise of God. He put confidence in God's word. Why? Because God and his word are trustworthy. And it was a persevering faith. It means Abraham didn't stay down when he fell. It means he got back up. He dusted himself off with repentance. He refocused his life with faith. And he set out again in the strength of the Holy Spirit. A persevering faith means growing increasingly strong over time. You say, I've got a lot of battles that will make you stronger if you keep walking with God, trusting God. Just like Abraham. And thus growing in our capacity to give God more glory by being increasingly convinced God is able to do what God has promised. Years ago, 33 miners in Chile became trapped more than 2,000 feet underground. For weeks, they found themselves in a deep, dark pit. They were unable to do anything to get out of that situation. No one knew exactly where they were located. They were trapped beneath the surface. They were helpless. They were hopeless and they were desperate. If they were ever going to be saved, help would have to come from above. After several weeks, the miner's location was pinpointed and rescue workers were able to lower essential items down through a small tube. They were given some minor things like toothpaste, food, and other survival items were sent to these miners, not just to help them in the midst of their dark and desperate situation, but also to give them a little bit of hope. This little tube provided hope to those miners that someone was up above them, doing everything in their power to reach them and deliver them from their pit. The tube itself did not deliver these men, but it gave them hope that deliverance was on the way. It could be today that you find yourself in a similar circumstance. Maybe life has caved in on you, perhaps spiritually, financially, maybe relationally, maybe emotionally. Regardless, you see no way out. At the moment, you're not even sure that anyone above knows where you are. After 59 days, every miner was successfully brought to the surface all survived. One miner whose name was Mario said, we always knew that we would be rescued. We never lost faith. Another miner said that there were not 33 of us down in that pit. There were 34 because God was with us the entire time. You know, God's word does not automatically and immediately undo all of life's negative realities. Christians still face the same troubles 
as anyone else. John 16, Jesus tells us, in this world, you shall face tribulation, but be of good cheer. He's overcome the world. But what God does provide is sustaining hope. God is aware of your plight and he's working on your behalf for good. And you can experience the blessing if you'll but trust him. No matter how dark your situation is, keep confidence in God because ultimately that's where you find deliverance. Not just for salvation from sin and hell, but deliverance along the journey. No matter how dark, if you're still stuck deep in a pit, Look for that lifeline. Look for that tube that God uses to send you what you need to sustain you as you wait on your breakthrough. He is still Jehovah Jireh, our God who shall supply all of our needs. And when the day comes for victory, praise him, praise him, all ye little children. Praise the Lord because he saw you through what seemed like a hopeless situation. The scripture tells us that Abraham too was in that hopeless situation. I mentioned already in Romans 4 when he and his wife, his wife was past the age of bearing children. God had promised an heir long before. And Abraham believed hoping against hope. Confidence in God when there was no reason humanly for confidence. But Abraham saw the fruit of his belief when God gave him that son. And you too will see the fruit of your confidence in God, either in this world or in the next. Put your hope in God today. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He's with you. He's waiting to deliver you if you will but trust Him. The great news is no matter where you've been, how much you've been down, where you've fallen, you can get back up. You don't have to live a life of defeat. You don't have to have a life simply getting by without maximizing all that you are created for. You can reclaim spiritual authority. It's not too late. If you'll do like Abraham and start now. Let's stand together, please.